This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. And you can listen to all the episodes of our talk show on our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org. Welcome back to Partnership for the Arts Talk Show, where we talk art. So, everyone, there's your hint for the show today. And I will stop tapping my hand on the table. <laughs> I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> Nanette, how you doing today? I'm great, Dave. How are you? I'm feeling blessed. And as you can tell... I am excited about who we have on the show today. I know. You are going to have to tell us about the guests today because this is my introduction to them as well. Right. True. Well, today we're going to be talking art per one of our running series in this show, The Musician Stage. Two blues musicians that live in Alabama. They are coming to us via the web and these two annually travel to and perform touring in Europe and the UK as well. And I am talking about Debbie Bond and her husband, Rick Asherson. And, by the way, you will be hearing their music from time to time coming up during the show, just like the one we opened with, titled Enjoy the Ride. And Nanette, <laughs> you know very well... I have been wanting to have these two on our show since we first started doing this. <laughs> that is true. He has been saying, and Debbie Bond and Rick. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Debbie, Rick, welcome to our show. Yes. But thank you very much for having us on this show, and uh, congratulations on how well well it's done. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for that. And you know, I miss you both. We've got a lot of catching up to do. And a lot more to cover. Definitely. Yeah, we really miss you too. Yeah. How about we get right into this? How about you tell us about yourselves, about how you ended up in Alabama, and let's make sure we talk about the Alabama Blues Project and how you got into playing the blues. Well, my name is Debbie Bond, and I'm a blues singer and guitar player, songwriter, you know, I came to Alabama from, I actually was at that time living in England and very young green musician and a young green blues musician and I uh, ended up in Tuscaloosa for, you know, just, just really fluky reasons. And Johnny Shines, uh, this a legendary blues man, was still alive and playing here, it, I was basically blown away from, by the blues scene in, in Alabama that seemed to be very taken for granted. The, the world seemed to know about Mississippi and Memphis and Chicago and New Orleans, and it seemed to not realize that this this rich blues culture here, and, and so I stayed. And when was that? When did you move to Alabama? been here since 1979. And playing the playing my own music and then backing a, a large number of the traditional black blues players in the area until basically the last one passed away and uh, which we will go into more detail Willie King and there's a very special connection there with Willie King with you two isn't there that's how Rick and I met was through Willie yeah so Nanette you have been asking me about the Alabama blues style. 
So here's another great example. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought, who better to ask than these two? <laughs> <laughs> so Lynette, ask away. Yeah. <laughs> so what I was wondering is, I've seen these references to traditional Alabama blues, and you've talked about you know, Georgia and Mississippi, and what's different about Alabama blues? Well, I think that's a great question. I think that uh, it's actually a tough one to answer. I mean, as soon as there were records, which basically in 1920, the first blues recording was released, and it was actually written by Perry Bradford, who was from Mobile, Alabama, and sung by Mamie Smith, and it was this huge hit. And that was also the birth of the whole recording industry. From that date onwards, all over America, consumers of the blues and players of the blues got to hear each other's music. And there was constant migration from, you know, people going to work in Mississippi and back and forth all over the South, and then people leaving the South to go to the North. So the blues is, you know, there's definitely a, a kind of a influence across the board where everybody's influencing each other from the get-go. But I do think there is a solely groove blues sound that came out of the juke joints and emerged here in Alabama that is is kind of unique that I feel like I can hear in the music. People like Eddie Kirkland and Willie King reflect that sound, a kind of a funky, solely blues juke joint sound. Oh, well said. Mm, sounds good. It does sound good. <laughs> yeah, wonderfully put. And I have to say that uh, that really, uh, I think, describes your style quite well. Thank well, you. Well, thank you. So, Rick, how about you? You know, I played with Willie. That's really why I ended up in Alabama, is I met him one day and never left, uh, is the very short version, in 2001. What were you doing in Alabama? Well, I actually came specifically to go to, as it turned out, Willie King's Festival. Okay. Um, I was more just wandering around, wondering what to do next. I've done a number of different things in my life, but since I, as soon as I met Willie, I suddenly started becoming a professional musician rather than just someone who played for their own entertainment. So, Rick, as uh, they like to say in Alabama, you ain't from around here. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, where uh, you're originally from? Well, I like to say Tuscaloosa, but no one believes me. So. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a hard sell. <laughs> I'm going to have to fess up and say I'm a Londoner. Ah. Uh -oh. Yeah, now the secret's out. <laughs> <laughs> so you both just got back from touring over there. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. Through the UK or through Europe? A bit of both, really. We, uh, we played a lot around England and Wales and, and also some in France and Spain this year. Wow, that's right. How about we talk about the blues, the influences of it there and here? And how... Uh, I don't think of the blues as being a European, you know, type of music. Really? So, I, you know, it's probably my, I'm just uneducated about that. Yeah, it's a fascinating phenomena. I don't know if you've heard of what they call the British invasion, which yep. was... <laughs> <laughs> Please. And we're not talking about the, the uh, War of Independence. No, here. but wasn't that like, you know, the Beatles? Right. There you go. Exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. There was this, you know, British Mm. blues musicians in the 60s fell in love with American blues and imitated it and then evolved it and, and then came back over to the States and helped to awaken America to what they had in their own backyard. Uh, it was, I think, the Stones that w- were one of the first people who took mm. Muddy Waters, no, Howlin' mm. Wolf, onto a television show and, you know, got him national exposure. And so the Brits and the Europeans have loved the blues in a you know, the blues has always been this underground music to some degree, but there's just a, this big love of the blues in Europe. And the Europeans definitely love the blues, and and they often know that, you know, there are folks you meet over there that know a lot more about the blues and blues history than they do in America. So I would have to say there's, a you know, definitely a strong following but it's just this underground culture of festivals and clubs that exist they're run by people who just love the blues everywhere whether it's here or america or south america there's a strong cult following for the blues globally all right and uh nanette before the show you were telling me that you had a chance to talk to some uh, local blues players from around here right yeah and I asked her about, you know, sort of why people respond to that type of music. And she said, you know, everybody has the blues sometimes. And a type of music that really kind of gets into you, and you can just feel it in your bones. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have two, two bits to that. I mean, one is, I, you know, you talk to the old blues guys. They all said blues is a feeling. Yes. All, there's not something it's not easy to express in words there's a certain feeling that is created through that music and it's not always sad either but there is a certain spirit to it which can be uplifting or expressive or cathartic or whatever blues is very easy for that to, to do that with you know but it's not obviously going to appeal to everybody i mean everyone's got their own thing that they resonate but i do share your your uh, your sense that it's it's very accessible get into your being and body and sort of get you lit up some now rick that's an understatement if i've ever heard one i've seen you all before and i've seen those people up out of those chairs uh dancing some funky dance <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean th- uh, yes i i think that's that's usually our experience i would um caveat that by saying we try and play in places where we think we'll be appreciated <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't want to do the Blues Brothers and have to hide behind the chicken wire while, while we do songs to entertain the crowd. But, you know, I think if it's done well and the crowd is at least reasonably open, it, that's the effect and the aim of music is to bring people into the whole experience. Will used to say the spirit descended, you know, it was with us today. Mm, like that. And uh, I think that's what it's for. And I do think the blues is a very easy way into that. I think that any great art... What's wonderful about it is it is the magical way it moves you, moves human beings on a another plane that it's that's hard to explain. Willie always used to say that the blues was sent to lift people's spirits up and to bring people together. And uh, and I agree, nautic grooves that come from its African roots, both melodically and rhythmically, and it's sort of, especially with someone like Willie King's music, it's very almost hypnotic or like black gospel music, that powerful soul during thing going on, and, and that's one's goal when you play. All right, I like that. Debbie, 
Rick, let's talk about the Alabama Blues Project. Right. So I founded an organization called the Alabama Blues Project. Right. And then Rick helped me grow the organization. Yeah, program, right, and, and the relationship with the schools. Right. Debbie, you were talking about the blues and its relationship with African music and its relationship also with slavery and how its roots come out of those eras. And it, that seems like a great segue to talk about how you weave together the music and history and other subjects as well for school children across Alabama. Yeah, the Blues Project really evolved and over time, and we developed a wide range of uh, Blues in the School programs and a variety of curriculum. And all of them, in one form or other, always start with the story of the blues origins and and how the melodies and rhythms come from African music, combined really with uh, European Celtic and kind of folk music from England and Ireland, and and how those evolved. And so, just kind of, it's it's a wonderful way to teach history and a timeline of history that just brings it to life in a way that kids really relate to well. So, uh, yes, we love doing it. We have done a wide range of things that include, uh, like you say, other subject areas and art, themes of blues and art and and writing projects. And it, it's, it's been a wonderful adventure. Uh, and to see all the ways in which music and the blues can be incorporated into teaching and kids about their their own musical and social history. Right, right. So Debbie, tell us about when you started this and and how it came about. I, I tell you, started it in '95, and I I got my working with Billy Branch's uh, Blues in the School program out of Chicago. Uh, that at that time actually had a program in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, I got hired to work with them. It was actually an ongoing thing that I, it was a dream I always wanted to do, and I wrote them for a few years, and then it kind of fell in my lap after really uh, trying to make it happen for a long time, and uh, it just grew from there, and I kind of dedicated quite a few years with that being my primary focus to Alabama blues, prom- promoting it and teaching it. And, and so that, you know, that's, that's kind of how it got started. And, and we always featured people like little Jimmy Reed, Willie King, that time, big Bo McGee, Eddie Kirkland, you know, just the, the real deal old school blues players. Who's we, we've really lost the, the old, that older generation, sadly. Mm. And there's a um, hands on, music instruction component of the program as well, right? Always. Well, I say always. We do a lot of uh, one-hour performances. But, Rick, do you want to talk about that? Because you've been very Uh, involved in that. Well, Debbie started the program. I married into it in 2002. (laughs) Suddenly you get a family and an organization all in one go. (laughs) Um, And uh, we we worked it together and we did everything. And then – we passed it on to a, a new management in, uh, I think it was, in fact, 2009 or so, so that we could pursue our own music a bit more. Maybe that's more, more like 2012. Anyway, I'm not too sure on that date. But my point is that we, we had our own blues camp, which was entirely our, that organization's initiative. And we would find a space, often in uh, community halls of one sort or another, and we'd teach guitar, harmonica, singing and drums. 
and we, we would end up with a final performance where we might have a 40 or 50 piece blues orchestra of beginners who, who knew just enough to strum the chords to play five songs. 15 oh. guitarists and 10 harmonica players who, not necessarily very skilled, but they, they um, were so enthusiastic. <laughs> it's so cool to watch and just a real pleasure to work with. So, and Rick, you are a harmonica player. Yeah, I do. I do some harmonica and uh, keyboard these days. Okay, and so were you involved in teaching harmonica to these kids? Yeah, well, and we, he still is. Uh, small organizations like that, you wear many hats. Oh yes, of course. From uh, writing the grants to uh, teaching the harmonicas to the beginners. <laughs> well, this is slightly off the point, but we have a symphony here in town, mm. and they bring in you know guest. Uh, musicians periodically and one of the musicians they brought in a couple of years ago was Robert Bonfiglio mm. who uh, performed a harmonica concerto yes it's it's an underrated instrument it is <laughs> and you had a chance to talk to him didn't you Nanette yes and it was just so fascinating to to talk with him and about how he warms up his harmonicas before he plays them and yeah. you know just a lot of things that the layperson would not think about. Right. Okay, so Rick, why don't you give us some insight? What's it like for you when you play the harmonica? Well, it, you know, every instrument has its own character. And I, and I think that for me, or one aspect, the character of a harmonica is it's extremely easy to get started. But to really, it, the, the, the curve gets steeper and steeper as you go along. And to really get it to do what you want it to do, rather than you doing something that it wants to do <laughs> it gets quite hard you know but uh, there are you know like any instrument there's some amazing virtuosos who can just do incredible things with harmonicas um i've heard someone say that at least in in relation to the blues the harmonica is the closest thing to the voice interesting you use an awful lot of throat muscles and mouth muscles and of course it, it feels very like a very good medium for a, for a, the expression of your humanity wow beautiful yeah, that's beautiful. Anyway, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah. Been, I've been playing it since I was 13, which is a good few years ago now. So. <laughs> <laughs> or again, a few decades, huh? <laughs> a decade or two. I always, I always tell the kids, you should get somewhere if you practice something for 40 years. You should right. have got somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Debbie, Rick, let's talk a little more about your annual Europe-UK tour. This year was a little different you went to someplace new yeah we went uh, we went to uh in spain mm. i don't know if we mentioned that we went to menorca menorca which is a, mm. a, a, a small and beautiful island in the middle of the mediterranean which as far as we know features one and a half blues bands yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, entirely spanish <laughs> and very, and again you know just it's not like it's a major thing there, but they have a strong following and they really, you know, they're just so interested and enthusiastic about the blues and the history of it and the people who played it. And they're always looking at videos and, you know, researching it and they do a fabulous job. Yeah, that sounds rough, guys. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like hardship duty by any means. And that was part, that was actually a wonderful part of the. Well, it was the way we started off. We kind of felt like we got over jet lag in Menorca, and just the wonderful gift of being able to travel like that for your work. 
uh, and to be able to do what you love to do. And, you know, it can get grueling in, in terms of the travel and the, you know, a different bed every few nights and, and things like that. But it's, you know, in this world as we know it, to be, to be able to be an artist is a, an incredible blessing. Amen to that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and you got somebody you want to give a shout out to. Yeah, quick shout out to Laura Rowe, who has a host in Menorca and a musician and singer. And um, she's very inspiring to us. And she said we were inspiring to her. So we all had a really good time staying together and playing some shows. And it was it was just a lovely the first 10 days was lovely. So when you all travel over there, how many different performances do you do? Boy, I guess Rick would be better at that. We had about 30 shows, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and do you book your own shows, or do you have an agent who does that? Oh, watch what you ask. Oh, we would love to have an agent. Are you in the market? <laughs> so, uh, moving right along, how do you work that? We, you know, we work with a large number of people. We, we get going here at about uh, late September and you just start phone, phone, phoning. And there's a few people who have a, who they're not exactly agents or they are agents for some people at some time. And they'll get us three or four or five shows. And then an awful lot of them we have to, um, we do ourselves one, one at a time. And, uh, and it's lovely, really. I mean, there's a very sociable and pleasant aspect about that, especially when you're working with a lot of these blues clubs and venues which specialize in the kind of music that we love and they love. And, you know, so you're, you're always meeting interesting people. Well, wonderful. So when do you actually start touring? We uh, I'm having a quick look here. We started off in uh, midway through June. All right. So where did you start off? Where did you go? In uh, North Wales. Then we went Durham, Cleethorpes, Colville, Billericay, Cherrington, Seven Oaks. That was June. Yeah. <laughs> Followed by London, Worthing, Bristol, Hooley, Bridgend, Marlborough, Marlborough, South, Northampton, Upton, Oxford, Litchfield and Gloucester. <laughs> For July, Luton, Bear Club, Luton, Barbrunel, blah, blah, blah. It goes on. We had festivals. We had clubs. We had bars. We ended up at uh, a, a well-known venue in London called the 100 Club in Oxford Street which um, I actually grew up around the corner from that, and it was going when I was a kid. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. It, wonderful. I feel a bit like coming home. I like that. And then, uh, and then we went over to uh, France and played in a festival, our last one, uh, in a very nice, uh, near Geneva, but just in France. Yeah, it kept us busy. We were running around. Wow. Right, right. Wow. You'll have to come with us next time. You can do live broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> So now Dave has mentioned something about a van. Right. Oh, big blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we have a, a van that has a lot of character. We call it Big Blue. And I got it in 2001. And it's a 1995 Six, Chevy Astro. Chevy Astro van. <laughs> and how many miles? And it's gone over 250,000 miles. Oh, yeah. And oh, my goodness. it has bumper stickers all over it. And it's just our home away from home, really. And it, we have so many memories mm. in it. I mean, traveling with Willie King and, and, you know, pretty much every blues musician that we worked with would have traveled in the band with us. And 
you know, musicians on the road, they tell stories and they laugh and they, it's just, you know, listen to music and just, it is your home away from home. So we love Big Blue and she's actually uh, in the garage now. She has her own <laughs> residence now. And, uh, she thinks she's really uptown and she actually got a, a rebuilt engine. Yeah. So she she just is purring along and ready to go another 250,000. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We just wish she could go across the sea with us because yeah. she'd probably draw a bigger crowd than we would <laughs> oh that reminds me speaking of old blue there is this wonderful picture debbie of you next to old blue with you pointing to the partnership for the arts sticker on the side of the van is it still there yeah. I will have to uh, yeah. check it out and send you I, a picture. I think you're right. Yes, because I'd like to see how it's holding up. You should have the new one anyway. We'll send you a new one with the uh, talk show on it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, no problem. Which, by the way, you know that original sticker, that went on Old Blue after a performance by you 2 at the old Pell City Library. True. That's <laughs> we, were actually, we were actually in Pell City a couple of weeks ago. The uh, They're now in a new library, which is... Five times the size and really nice. And right. uh, Susan Mann is still putting on great programs there. Oh, I miss Susan. She is one great lady. Make sure you tell her I said hi. And Nanette, you haven't met her, but she's this little firecracker too. So. <laughs> uh, we usually get to visit once or twice a year and it's always a real pleasure. And you know, they built that new library without a coffee shop. <laughs> Indeed, but there is room for one. Right. I really thought the uh, Pell City Coffee Company would be great in there. A little shout out to the members there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They really should. Although I was trying to get her just to open a juke joint. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, in the library. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's move on here. We talked about your tour in the Europe and UK. So let's talk about what you do and where you go when you're home back in the States. And particularly whether you're coming to our neck of the woods anytime. Mm. You know, it's a funny thing because playing music for a living, it's this combo of juggling between you're gigging, you're trying to write. We also do the blues in the schools. And so it's very easy to have your regular circuit and kind of stick to that because it, A, it works. It's not too far. You can drive home a lot if, you know, if not to stay out a couple of nights. Sure. So we, we predominantly do play in Alabama. When we were with Willie, we went much further afield and got to, you know, play King Biscuit Festival mm. quite a few times and over in Mississippi Delta a lot and, and even New York a couple of times with Willie. Because you flying or driving further distances, you just have to make the money to make it work. And again, without a booking agent. And, you know, that's one of those things that it's like, uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I'd contrast that with one of the nice things about the UK is that that's a, a four-hour radius of England covers right. most covers the whole country pretty much. Right. Which includes about 40 million people, you know, whereas a four-hour radius from where we are, you're lucky to get five million people. Right. It's, it's a very different, what's the word, demo demographic and geographic arrangement so yes. yeah we get out and about but uh i was talking when i was talking to david uh, before before we uh, had this uh, interview the kind of thing we, we do imagine doing is going to an area 
and trying to, you know, you have to plan it well ahead and you book a few shows on the way and a few on the way back and three or four when you get there and you make it a whole package. And yeah, and we'd love to come down your way and do that. There's a famous place we'd love to play. In Bradford Blues the Brad- Club. Bradfordville Blues Club, which is near Tallahassee. And I know there's festivals up there in North Florida. So it's about 400 miles from here. Oh, well, it's closer than here. Yes. <laughs> What's that after traveling to and through the whole UK, huh? <laughs> uh, yes. So this concludes part one of our interview with world travel <laughs> blues musician Debbie Bond and her husband, Rick Asher. So make sure to join us next week on Partnership for the Arts talk show for more of our conversation. Where we talk art. So, Nanette, until the next show, you take care. You too, Dave. Take care. This is Partnership for the Arts Radio. Come join us as we explore the worlds of art. And you can listen to all the episodes of our talk show on our website at partnershipforthearts.group.org.